Hi guys, summer's finally here and I'm looking forward to catching up with friends and family as much as possible. At all those get-togethers, I like to have the option of being able to moderate my alcohol intake without missing out on the occasion. That's when I love a refreshing Atopia and Tonic. It's an award-winning non-alcoholic spirit with all the flavour of a premium gin but less than 0.5% alcohol. Our friends at Atopia have given us an exclusive offer for Open Mind listeners. Just head over to clinkspirits.com and use the code OPENMIND at checkout to get £5 off a bottle of Atopia and free shipping. Enjoy the summer with a bit of mindful moderation. This episode includes references to eating disorders, specifically bulimia. Please only listen if you feel comfortable. Hi and welcome to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Today I'm joined by empowerment and mindset mentor, Megan Rones Lane. Megan is the host of Word, the podcast, and founder of The Thrive Project, a 10-week-long online course of self-improvement. Hi, Megan. Hello, how are you? I'm good, you? I'm really good, thank you, yeah. I always find those like little um, intros when it's about you really embarrassing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what's she saying? Oh, me. (laughs) (laughs) And how are you? Thanks for coming on. Oh, you're so welcome, thank you. It's actually really good um, that we're doing this today because today I've decided to take a mental health day completely randomly, so it fits in with the the theme. (laughs) Oh, really? But doesn't surely that means you shouldn't be working today? Well, no, I feel like this podcast is perfect for it because I get to talk, right? I get to like, I think yeah. part of my mental health, like self-care routine is to like offload and talk. I feel like it's so mm-hmm. good for your, for your mind to do that. So this definitely doesn't feel like work. <laughs> so what is a mental health day then? Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things when you notice that your mental health starts to slip. The first thing I do now is take a, I take a mental health day. Like I just go for it. I'm like, and I feel like it's one thing that I really um, wish I'd learned to do sooner. And I think in past jobs and stuff where you've been under like management and you've had certain, you know, hours to be in and, and it's been quite strict and stuff. Like you, the jobs don't give you mental health days. Like even to call mm. in sick, I saw this thing on Instagram the other day that was like, you know, how many times have you needed to take a day off work because of your mental health and had to lie, had to make up a lie about something else because it's not seen as like an okay thing to call in and be like, hey, I'm really struggling with my mental health today. I need to take the day off. Um, mm. You don't give, get given that. So I think now working for myself, it's something that I actually do as soon as I feel myself slipping. And it's just a real, it's a really feeling into what is it that I need? You know, asking yourself that's such an important question. Like, what do I actually need right now? And I went on holiday the other week and ever since I got back, I've not been in a routine. So for me, it's all about creating more routine. And I did a meditation this morning. I haven't meditated for a few weeks and I'll probably take a bath later and maybe I'll watch a film or something, you know. So Mm. it's just like giving yourself all that thing, all that stuff that you that you need and often don't give yourself because you feel too guilty. I always find after a holiday, I feel off. And I always feel guilty for it because I think I've just been away. I've had an amazing time. I've had a break. I should come back and feel great. But I often feel the complete opposite. It's so weird that I find I really get the holiday blues, but I don't think I did before. So weird. It is weird. And I think when you are like in a really good routine and a really good schedule and like even though you're like, oh, I need a break actually the holiday throws you off that completely so when you get back you're just like hang on what was I doing where was I my to-do list is like over there and I'm, I've, I'm scattered and that's how I felt since I got back it's like my energy feels like really scattered and all over the place so 
um, yeah, you, you kind of have to like reset and reel it in. <laughs> mm. um, you said earlier about now you work for yourself. So you're an empowerment coach. What is that? Okay, so basically it is, I just feel like what I, I fell into this, it wasn't something that I always wanted to do or like planned to do, but um, I've been on a massive journey of reclaiming my power. And I feel like so many of us have given our power away to so many different people and places and things over our lives. Like, you know how it feels to have bulimia. Like that is the ultimate, like that was the biggest giveaway of my power in the world to diet culture, to other people's opinions of me, to needing to be a certain size and a certain weight. And that journey was massively about taking my power back. Um, and I had the same thing. I used to have panic attacks and I gave my power away to so many things, like the things that I was scared of that, that really weren't really a threat to me, but like that I was super, super scared of. Like, for example, even just getting on the tube or going on public transport or being in social situations, you know, I gave my power away to all of those things. And I felt really weak and, and not in control of my own life and stuck and small and scared. And my life's journey from literally my early 20s now has been about reclaiming that power. And that's exactly what I want to do for women. Like, I can't give them their power back, but I can tell them how to remember how powerful they are. And I can guide them back to finding their own power because it comes from within us. And... um we can't get it from anywhere else and only we can reach that deep within us to find it. So I guess my job is just to um, remind women that that's within them and help them to to access it again. Because mm. I think often we do try and find these things through other people and other things, don't we? Like the same with happiness. We kind of turn to another person or a situation or an object and go, that will be when I will feel x or whatever and um I suppose being taught how to look for that yourself just completely makes sense because we all know really deep down that we're the only people that can change our lives and how we feel really at the end of the day so how did you find yours then um how did I oh god it's been a real journey of going within I think I just had to give up the fight of going without like you were saying there were so many different things that I was trying to find my power in or trying to find a sense of peace in trying to find a sense of happiness in um from going out especially in my uni days it was going out and it was doing drugs and drinking a lot and that was for, for me to feel some kind of connection to other people or some, some kind of connection that, that, that gives you, that social life gives that you think it gives you, right? It's a false sense of connection. Mm. Um, the real connection is the deep connection with yourself. That's, that's, what, that's what we try to get when we go out there doing drugs and alcohol and things like that because we're, we're, we're clutching at this feeling of contentment, this feeling of fulfillment, and it doesn't work. So that was the one thing, the first thing that I did was like, I removed myself from that life, from that, um, yeah, from that culture that was really quite soul destroying. Um, and then I kind of, I went off, I went traveling. I realized that I, I, I then also tried to get my happiness and my contentment and my power from relationships. And actually that again made me feel terrible and depleted me and, um, started looking into like a, a relationship attachment styles and I had a very anxious attachment style and there was a lot of jealousy and insecurity and I think I just looked around at my life at the, the, the places where I had the most pain and the most anxiety 
and stress. And I was like, okay, where is my invitation to heal from this? And I just went in. Like I bought books, I listened to podcasts, I journaled, I meditated. Like there was no, I guess there's never really any end to it. There's still things that come up for me now that I'm working on. So yeah, it was, I think meditation was probably the biggest thing for me. So would you say that you're religious now or spiritual? Spiritual. I, I definitely felt very uncomfortable with religion growing up. And, it, and the word God freaked me out. And I was like, I can't, you know, church always felt really fearful. There was a lot of like fear around like, if you do anything wrong and if you sin and going to hell and all this stuff that didn't feel to me like it was in alignment with what really religion was trying to teach about God and love and uh, it just something didn't sit right with me even as a child so I rejected religion entirely and actually I rediscovered God or the universe or source or whatever you want to call it and um, it doesn't matter what name you give it because really mm. it goes so far beyond the name um, but, you know, I, I rediscovered that through spirituality. And actually, spirituality is has no rules. It's about radical forgiveness and radical acceptance and non-judgment. So you can find yourself in any moment in your life. And there's there's nothing to say, like, this is wrong or sinful or bad. It's like, just forgive yourself and show yourself so much compassion. And that is the, the real path back to love and happiness and joy you know and it doesn't have rules and regulations and restrictions and that's why that's why I went from religion to spirituality because it was like it just felt so much more expansive and so much Mm. more limitless um and liberating you know yeah I suppose we put enough pressure on ourselves anyway don't we um we often feel so much guilt and if we mess up and things like that and I and if you're religious as well like you say there are a lot of wrongs and rights and do's and don'ts and I suppose yeah spirit is a bit more open-minded and a bit more it's more enjoyable and I think one thing that we all struggle with anyway is like guilt and shame like guilt and shame like even around mental health struggles like that that meaning that we attach to you know feeling bad bad or doing something that maybe is out of character for us or whatever like it's the guilt and shame that actually just amplifies it even more and Mm. uh, the stigma around mental health things like that so and I think that's one thing that I felt with church there was a lot of guilt and shame and fear in it that just like didn't feel good so um yeah spirituality for me has been the the ultimate (laughs) the best I love it you speak quite openly about your mental health on social media have you always been that way or was there a moment where you thought I need to be more honest online. Mm, there was definitely a tipping point because when I was younger, um, maybe when I first started social media, which would have been about five five years ago or so now, there was definitely way more pressure to show up and be perfect. That was like literally what social media was. It was so different from what it is now. Um, and I didn't feel like I could openly talk about my mental health at all. And to be honest, I didn't really talk about my mental health in life, never mind on social media like I didn't talk about it with my parents um I didn't talk about it with friends really it just wasn't something even at school like there was never anything about mental health at school I had this urge where I felt like intuitively pulled towards sharing more and it's very scary I remember going through that and thinking my ego hated it it was like I can't be seen to be weak I can't be seen to be vulnerable if I talk about this I'm gonna seem like an attention seeker um, there was so much fear around sharing it, but but I think 
when something is part of your path, there's no other option. You know, when you feel so called to do something that you don't actually have a choice, like it's going to happen anyway. So I just went with that. I went with that calling. I went with that, that urge to do it. And it was the best thing I ever did, honestly. And of course there was like people who, you know, found it really uncomfortable and projected their hate onto me and projected their fear onto me and tried to shame me for being open and being vulnerable and being honest and talking about emotions that aren't just constant joy and happiness and to talk about panic attacks and anxiety and you know all of that stuff of course there was people that didn't like it but for me if it could help one person to get through a hard time or a bad day or to see the light or to feel less alone then it was 100% worth it and I think that's one of the things on social media like being vulnerable is like it, it saves people we save each other through our vulnerability you know it literally saves lives Mm. And you have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Do you feel more passionate about this now since having her? Because obviously we're kind of setting a precedent for her when she's older. 100%. And I think one of the massive turning points for me to post about body confidence and to stop editing my photos and to start really showing the realities of like motherhood and how my body changed was after I had her and during pregnancy. But after I had her, it like my passion for it like skyrocketed because I just was so determined to not let her grow up in a world that I grew up in, that we grew up in. You know, it was hard. Mm. We grew up in the in a crazy time. I know. Um, and when you say when you were pregnant, how did you find being pregnant? Were you able to enjoy it or did you find like the body changing hard? Um, the body changing was so hard. I'd, I had recovered from bulimia at this point, but when, as, soon as, as soon as I started to gain weight in pregnancy, my bulimia came back. Um, which was really difficult to navigate because the last thing in the world I wanted to do was put the baby in danger. And, you know, I wanted to be healthy and happy and, like, enjoy pregnancy. So that was a huge test for me. And I managed to overcome it quite quickly, but it was, it definitely, I definitely relapsed uh, in pregnancy and it was, it was hard. But there came a point where I just surrendered. I surrendered to the weight gain. I surrendered to the the fact that I was eating four breakfasts a day and I couldn't stop eating. (laughs) I surrendered (laughs) to the stretch marks and everything else that was going on and actually then once I did that once I just accepted that my body was supposed to do this like it was doing its thing and it was working perfectly no matter how it looked um everything changed then in pregnancy and that was a huge that was a huge tipping point for me as well like mentally and and emotionally and have you felt with the bulimia has it come back after pregnancy or have you felt that that tipping point has kind of kept it at bay yeah there's I just now that I have Esme there's this thing within me where I'm like I have to be I have to embody every single aspect of what I want her to kind of like feel inspired by within me like I I can't be self-sabotaging I can't disrespect my body in that way um I just can't do it anymore. It's just not who I am. I feel like I've stepped fully into a different version of me and um, the, the, the thought of having bulimia or going back to that way of life is just so alien to me now and I do think that that ended once I gave birth to Esme. Are you planning a party, a barbecue or even a garden soiree this summer? Now we're getting used to hosting again, we have to cater to all the needs of our guests. Lots of my friends and family don't like to drink too much alcohol, but love the taste and the celebration, and there's no reason why they should lose out. 
I always make sure to have a bottle of Atopia on hand so I can rustle up a quick Atopia and tonic for the designated drivers, expectant mothers, or those who just want to take a night off. And it even goes down well with the big drinkers too. I believe moderation shouldn't come with a compromise. To get started on your cocktail journey, head over to Atopia Spirits to get inspired. And how have you found your journey with acceptance of your body since, you know, after you've had the baby? Like, I always felt like while you were pregnant, it was hard, but you kind of accepted it because you had a bump and whatever. And then when that bump goes, it's a bit like, oh, okay, this is what I've got now. It was a crazy journey, looking in the mirror and seeing, like, this body that wasn't mine. Well, it was mine, but didn't look like mine. And that kind of, like, getting used to that. And also, like... You know, even even to lose weight after pregnancy and to still not feel the same, and my boobs have changed, and mm. I have cellulite now that I didn't have before pregnancy that has never gone away. And there's just been so many different things that I've just had to learn to accept. Do I love them all the time? No. Do I have amazing body days sometimes where I'm like, yes, like I feel so sexy and so amazing. And even with cellulite, even with my boobs being saggier and all those things, like I still I feel amazing. And then I have days where, you know, I look in the mirror and I want to have a little cry. But also, you know, one of the biggest parts of the path has been appreciating myself as more than a body. Like, I'm not just a body. I'm not just a face. I'm so much more. And, like, the people who love me for who I am, my family, my friends, like, they don't see me as a body and a face. They see me for my soul. They see me for the parts of me that are the most lovable and most interesting, which go so far beyond my outer shell. And I think that's one of the best things that you could ever do for your body image is to know that you're more than a body and when once you'd had Esme you had a partner at the time when you were pregnant and she was born and then at some point because I remember seeing it on your socials you guys split up did you find that difficult to share um yeah I did I definitely did back then though right that's about three years ago now because she's just turned three I definitely was an oversharer on social media. Um, I don't do that anymore. I, I keep so much of my life private now. And I think that I just got into this habit of constantly feeling like I had no boundaries. And I, I constantly felt like I had to kind of, I owed everyone an explanation. I owed everyone, you know, reasons for why I was doing certain things. And I had to go into detail about my life. And I was very apologetic. Like I watched stories from back then and I'm like, Hey everyone, I'm so sorry that I've not updated you on this. And I'm like, why was I apologizing? What did I think that I owed people about my life at this time? And I think that was really hard for me because as a bit of an oversharer and a people pleaser and someone that didn't have boundaries on social media, I was going through this heartbreaking time. And then I had this added pressure of being like, I have to tell everyone. You know, Mm. people have been following us as a couple for for so long and now they're wondering, but people would message me and be like, why haven't you updated us on the relationship? What's going on? And I'd be like, I'm so sorry. I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So yeah, that was a really difficult time. I felt like I owed everyone an explanation and people were disappointed in me, you know? For not sharing. No, like for breaking up, for breaking up with my partner at the time and and choosing to, yeah people were really disappointed in me and like telling me how they thought it was the wrong choice and really like putting their opinions on my life but but to be honest like I have to say I feel like I invited that level of 
like people's interference and like interest I invited that in by being an oversharer so they were super invested in my life they they think they thought they knew everything about my life and they did know quite a lot maybe not everything but to a point where it gave them this sense of like they had a right to tell me what to do with my life you know Mm -hmm. and I do believe like yeah okay that's out of order from people like they're crossing a boundary but I didn't have those boundaries in the first place you know yeah and did you feel shame when you had to share that at that time yeah there was a lot of shame in the in going through the breakup there was a lot of shame in you know I grew up with my mum and dad together they they're not together now but they were together for 30 odd years you know I grew up with that family that that house that safe household um situation that I really valued and felt so grateful for and um I didn't want to get to to take that away from Esme but I also wanted to be happy and I wasn't happy. So it was really difficult. There was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and I was trying to do what was best for me, but also what was best for her. Uh, There was a lot of, um, but you know, at the end of the day, like my happiness was best for her. And that's one of the big lessons that I learned was that like for her to be around arguments and, and bitterness and resentment and a relationship that was breaking down with two people who couldn't seem to figure it out was way way worse for her than now she has two happy households with with parents that we get on so well we're like really good mates now me and her dad um so she gets to see this beautiful friendship between us she has two peaceful homes and i don't feel any guilt or shame now but i had to work through that at the time for sure yeah and do you find that easier now to tell other people and you know because i always think i've wanted to have some form a single parent whether it was a man or a woman um on the podcast for a while because I feel like it's something that doesn't get spoken about that often you often you know especially with social media we see a lot of happy couples happy families and I often feel like that story kind of goes under the radar um and I just feel like as you know a podcast that's all about mental health and well-being it was an important subject to be spoken about Um, And I think it's funny in this day and age, you know, it's not when I was at school, most parents were still together, you know, happily or unhappily. And now it's so much more common. But do you feel like there's still a slight stigma around it? Or have you not found that? I think there is certain people, there's certain people with a more old fashioned mindset who grew up maybe like I did, um, mm. will will definitely have that judgment. But at the end of the day, I feel like the society that we live in right now, we are breaking through so many boundaries, through so many walls, we're liberating ourselves from the rules, the expectation, the shame, the things that you, people used to say in marriages for like literally 50 years, miserable because they felt like they couldn't, they couldn't leave someone because they'd made this promise. And I just find that so crazy, like how much, how small and how much we kind of like shrunk down our lives because we felt so like, almost like shackled by these invisible handcuffs from society. And I think that there's a, there is, you know, beautiful opportunities um, and lives that exist beyond these walls of these rules and stuff. So, I mean, I'm a living proof of that. You know, I'm happier now. He's happier now. Esme is happier um, there's no shame in it. And if anybody else puts that shame onto me, that's theirs to deal with. Like, it's not mine. Did it take you a while to kind of accept it yourself? Like, you know, straight after, I'm guessing you either moved or he moved, whatever, a lot must have changed for you all of a sudden. That must have been really difficult to all of a sudden just be you and Esme. 
yeah, it was really diff- what was really difficult for me. The most, the hardest thing was having to split time. Um, we do fifty fifty. He, she, he, okay. she, um, Esme's dad is an incredible father, and you know he was very clear from the from the from the onset. He was like, I need to spend half the time with her. Like, I I don't want to be absent from her life. I want to be included as much as possible. And I found that really difficult because um, I was used to being with her every day. And she was one when we broke up. So I'd just finished breastfeeding. That was so difficult. But at the same time, like, because our relationship is actually so healthy and on such good terms, like, I can go around there any day that I want. I can FaceTime her whenever I want. Like, we'll do little days out and stuff. Like, it's, you know, it's, I, I feel like now... I feel very much at peace with how much I get to see her and how much access I still have to her. There's no, like, weird rules or, like, you know, there's no distance from her. Like, it's it's really healthy. We live near each other as well and everything, so it's all good. Mm. Yeah, it must have been hard at first to be like, okay, so you're going now for a few days. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a bit used to not seeing her because she'd been in nursery for a few months. Mm-hmm. So I'd got kind of got a bit more used to, like, the fact that obviously I was working and she would be out for the day. It was the nights where I would go to bed and she wasn't in the house and I would literally just lie there and I would have this like empty feeling in my heart like it was I was really hard but um you just get you you adapt you know humans adapt and we figure shit out and we're really good at that so yeah and I guess now you get to enjoy those moments a bit now you can get stuff done you can appreciate it rather than 100% you know there is as much as I would rather have Esme all the time Mm mm-hmm there is an opportunity. I can get more work done. I can, um, you know, I can go see friends and things like that in the time when I don't have her. So there is, there is ways of keeping myself busy <laughs> when yeah. I miss her, for sure. Um, someone said, how do you pull yourself out of those negative body days? So you said you still do have them. How do you move on from them when they happen? I, I actually take all my clothes off and dance in the mirror naked. Do you? <laughs> it's the most amazing thing in the world like and I literally it honestly like I've had so much so much shit to deal with around dancing like I always grew up like thinking oh I'm not a good dancer and you know I shouldn't dance and I would only ever dance like in nightclubs when I was really pissed and it would take me of like a few drinks to even get comfortable enough to move my body on the dance floor and then I went I did like um a course online and part of it was about um like getting into your power was about getting into your feminine sexy energy and dancing right and I just fell in love with it so I started like dancing in the mirror putting on my favorite music and like really watching yourself in the mirror god it's so confronting there's so much embarrassment and so much shame and so much cringe and once you move past that oh my god the other side is freedom so if I'm having a bad body image day like connecting to my body and loving her radically for what she does for me beyond how she looks is just so powerful. So yeah, dancing naked in the mirror is like everything. I love that. <laughs> I guess that is something I, I've spoken about before. Like we forget what our bodies can do. So we start looking, we only look at them of what they look like. And it's like, God, our bodies are insane. The They're constantly working. They're constantly doing something. They're the reason we're here. Um, and we, we lose sight of that. It's so weird. It's so weird. We, could, we literally couldn't be having this conversation right now if we weren't both living inside a body that allowed our souls to even be here. So, you know, to, to hate the thing that is the reason that you're here is just like, it's craziness. But it also makes sense because we live in this world that literally everything in marketing, everything in, in, outside, in the outside world, like, is pretty much designed to make us hate ourselves so that they can sell us a solution. 
So coming back home to ourselves and remembering how fantastic and powerful, incredible we are, it's a lifelong journey. It takes a lot of balls to go there. And then someone's asked, any advice on self-sabotage, how to stop it? Self-sabotage will naturally stop when you increase your sense of self-worth because we sabotage ourselves because we think we're not worthy, right? So when things start to go well, if our self-worth is, is down here and things start to kind of go past that self-worth level, so things start to get really good, we're like, shit, this, doesn't, this isn't right. My self-worth only says I deserve this much, but I've got more. So I'm going to do something to mess that up. I'm going to bring myself back down here so I can prove to myself that my beliefs about my self-worth are true. I only deserve this much. So really self-sabotage, it's not really about trying to stop self-sabotaging. It's about cultivating a deeper inner sense of self-worth and knowing that your worth is infinite. You deserve the world. You deserve everything. Like there's no limits to what you deserve. And but your beliefs will meet you wherever you are. So if you believe you're not worthy, you will mess things up without even realizing you're doing it. It's subconscious. Um, so yeah, self-sabotage, the cure for self-sabotage is to work on your sense of self-worth so yeah that for me sense. meditation journaling dancing naked in the mirror uh spending time alone you know turn your phone off and just have like a big self-care days like really get into like feeling just so worthy of love and and it takes a while unlearning diet culture unlearning all of the reasons why you think you're not lovable yeah and then naturally self-sabotage will kind of like melt away from your life and you won't do it anymore it's, it's undoing so much of what you've learned over so many years isn't it it's hard yeah because we start out with all the self as children you know we are curious we are non-judgmental we are kind we are open we are present like as children we, we've got it we're, we're connected we are just like perfectly connected and then as adults we learn things that remove us from that deep inner natural connection that we are have always had so really being an adult and trying to get back to feelings of joy and acceptance and forgiveness and happiness and all that is, is literally like a peeling away of layers of fear that have been given to us over the years. And that's why self-development and this journey is a, is a journey of going within because we can't find it outside of ourselves. We already are everything we want to be, which is buried underneath layers of fear. So at the end of every show, I ask a guest, um, to give their three main bits of advice, which I always think is so mean, because if someone did this to me, I'd be like, oh, I can't think of anything. Um, so what would your three bits of advice be to give to people that are looking to empower themselves? Ooh, okay. My three main tips for feeling empowered in yourself are get some really, really good boundaries in place in your life. Like, do the work on boundaries. Write down all of the areas of your life where you feel like people's energy leaks in, where you give too much away, where you struggle to say no, where you feel guilt and shame for being yourself. And then start to build some really healthy boundaries and walls around your energy. Not to shut people out, not to close your heart. You do it from a place of love. And then you protect your energy. You get to keep your energy. And actually, you create a life where people respect you more and you create relationships where you know some relationships might actually drop off because if people can't respect your boundaries they naturally will fall off from your life so there may be a bit of loss involved when you start laying down boundaries but that is like boundaries are everything for your power um I would say definitely dance in the mirror even if you don't want to do it naked just start dancing just start connecting mm. to your body like you have your body is so powerful like all of your power is within your body 
Um, and if you can make that a daily habit, I just had, I just did a, an online course called Soul School and the girls in that every morning had to do an embodiment practice of dancing around the kitchen or the lounge or whatever, first thing in the morning to this playlist. And it changed, like over like the three months we were working together, it changed their lives. Like they won't stop doing it now. And I do it every morning too. And it's just, it really does put you in the most amazing mood. It helps you feel so confident and sexy and it takes a while. But like I said to you before, once you break through the embarrassment and the cringe and the fear, uh, it's really empowering. And then number three, I don't want to be boring, but I'm going to say meditate. Meditation has become such a kind of like woo woo thing of like, oh, meditate. But actually like even to just take 10 minutes every morning or every evening um, and meditation doesn't have to be sitting still in silence. You can do anything like you could go on a walk actually and just not take your phone and just really absorb the nature around you and look at, you know, really feel your feet on the floor when you're walking. Like it's just like about being present in life. Even if you just take 10 minutes a day to be really radically present, like sometimes I'll do it with my coffee. Like I'll be drinking my coffee and I'll just be really present with it. Like what does it taste like? What's the temperature like? How does it feel? I can feel it going down my throat and into my stomach. It's that like rad, those, that, those moments of like radical presence that you could even just stare at a flower and just appreciate its beauty. There's so many ways to do it, but it really reminds you of like how powerful that presence is when you're not distracted or on your phone or constantly striving. There's this like, oh, there's just so much strength and power and, and resilience that you can tap into when you come into the present moment. Mm, yeah, because I think that's quite that's such a an amazing point to make because I'm someone that's never been able to meditate. Leaving me on my own with my own thoughts in silence just does not help me at all. And I've always I used to see that as a failure, like as someone that suffers with mental health and whatever, you know, they always say to meditate and it's just never worked for me. So the thought of like sitting and thinking about something and just watching, you know, something else or being aware of your body is sounds like a much easier way to do that so it doesn't have to be so rigid like I think that's the problem is we think meditation has to be this thing where you sit cross-legged and you just sit in silence and like you can do that I love doing that I think there comes a point like it's hard at first it gets easier but like to like watch even like watch a candle watch the flame burn and flicker like there's so many things that you can do to make meditation more enjoyable and really it's just um it's more just a, a moment of presence rather than making it mean anything else, you know, and putting pressure on mm-hmm. yourself. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I've wanted to get you on the podcast for a while now. Um, I just love what you do online. I think you're just so open and honest and it's so nice and refreshing to talk to someone that just seems to, I don't know, you're just so aware of yourself and happy to share that with everyone. So um, thank you so much. And... Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your mental health day. I feel really bad that you've worked on your mental health day, but honestly, this is this is so important to me to talk about this stuff. It doesn't feel like work at all. I'm gonna go have a bath and um, relax. But thank you so much for having me. Like it's it's an absolute honour to be on here. So thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Mind. I hope this has been really helpful to you. If you have been affected by the episode or would like to find any more information regarding mental health, then please head over to mind.org.uk. Please follow me on Instagram and look out for my stories where I reveal each new guest and collect all of your fantastic questions to put forward to them. 
Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Are you trying to cut down on alcohol to boost your well-being? Well, personally, I love going out for drinks with my friends, but hate how I feel the morning after. And that's why I decided to moderate my alcohol intake with Atopia. They have an ultra-low alcohol spirit that tastes just as good as my usual drink without any of the nasty side effects or embarrassing photos. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Looking after yourself is important, so why not take this month to get focused on your well-being? Join me in cutting down on alcohol intake today and start making the most out of every occasion with no regrets. Wake up with a spring in your step and your well-being in check. Available from Waitrose and online.